Uh, we don't talk a lot about resources and finances, but uh, we did last week and this week. And uh, uh, email can be a, a beast or a burden, probably as most of you know. And uh, I get periodic emails. Uh, some are good and some are, well, they're emails. And uh, this last week, I, it, was, it, was, it was kind of fun because after I did my first talk on finances and talking about first fruits, I had a teenager sitting next to me and, they, and I was talking to them and just asking about their life. And they turned to me and they go, Pastor, I really liked your talk today. I go, well, thank you. And, uh, and then we were talking a little bit more and they go, you know, no, Pastor, I really liked your talk today. And I thought, wow, that's kind of a big deal coming from a teenager when you're talking about resources and finances and first fruits and all of those things, that they would kind of pick up on that. Well, then I got, the, I got an email this week. It said this, yesterday I visited Creekside for the first time. It was for no lack of invitations by my friends, Marianne and Terry, not this Terry. They said two people, they don't know each other, but they thought that uh, I would like Creekside. Well, they were both wrong. I didn't like Creekside. I loved it. I would have liked to have met that handsome, good-looking, gray-haired pastor afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm making that up. <laughs> but I thought, you know, that's, that's a great encouragement because I'm sure that there were some people that went away pretty mad um, or upset or whatever. You know, because this, this, what we're talking about, well, it's emotional and it's personal, isn't it? And uh, you'll probably have some pushback today because I'm a preacher trying to get into your pocket. And what would you expect? But it's really got nothing to do with that. This is about you. This is about God. This is about your resources. Now remember, because when I talk about money and wealth, I'm really talking about all of it. I want to be inclusive of everything. I'm talking about your credit cards, your job, your income, your inheritance, your housing, your vehicles, all of your stuff. Because see, this whole issue of wealth and possessions really is an overarching theme of the Bible. And sometimes we forget that this whole Bible is all about what? Making life better for us. Not always easier, but making life better. And whenever God talks about it, he does not talk about finances like they do on TV. God talks about finances because he says, I want to, uh, I really, it's not that I want something from you, I really want something for you. I want you to learn what it means to live with open hands and without uh, a person that is possessed by the need for possessions. And really, that's the whole theme uh, from Genesis to Revelation, whenever it talks about resources and finances and possessions, because about 20% of this book deals with all of those things in some realm, area, or another. But see, what happens whenever, we, whenever you talk about this from the Bible, what often happens is it gets uh, finances, resources, all of it gets reduced to riches and poverty. And when you do that, you'll see it oftentimes even on TV or other churches where they'll talk, they'll take a few verses, and the whole focus will be a prosperity theology or a poverty theology. And what you'll hear is, if you really love God, he wants you rich. I don't agree with that totally. Or if you come the other way, there'll be some churches that say, if you really love God, you'll sell everything and you'll live in poverty and you'll be poor. 
And I don't think that's right either. People fight over this, you know, does God want us rich or does God want us poor? I don't know that God wants us either. I do know this, that people in the Bible were well off. Some of his greatest followers were well-to-do. I do know this too. Jesus talks so often, so much about helping the poor. Who do you think can help the poor if everybody's poor? So God wants us to, God does want us to be blessed. And I believe that there's a gift that talks about in Romans 12, about a gift of generosity and giving and liberality. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which we referred to last week, talks about being able to give. And to be able to give, you have to know how to steward resources. And I know there are people that are really, really good at making money. And I believe that for them, God kind of ramps up the responsibility in a different way. So when I'm talking about this today, uh, it's not just straightforward, simple, either or, rich or poor. It's about our whole life. Someone said it this way. You know, they say, stick them up, give me your money or your life. Well, for a lot of us, it's the same thing, isn't it? Because if we feel like if we give up our resources, we're, we're giving up our life. So I want to start with a few things this morning. Number one, as I go through this, hear the balance in all that I say. It is so easy to take one point or one scripture or one thought and say, oh, that's what I've got to do. Oh, I've got to sell everything and give it to the poor and just be destitute, live on the streets, maybe my car. If it's not an expensive car, then I can keep it. Listen, we're not saying that at all. Again, I want us to be a resource church. I want you to be a resource people. Now, when I grew up, I grew up in definitely not poverty, but it was not a real well-to-do family at all. I basically lived with my father, who had gone through two divorces that I remember. And in the process, so we had a, he probably had a lot of income going out for some other kids and spousal support. So we didn't, him and I lived together, we didn't have a lot of money. And I can say this, my dad never taught me anything about finances. Very little. And so I just grew up, you know, I get it, spend it. Although I worked hard because I, I'd go around, we lived in a trailer park, and I'd go around and knock on doors and say, can I mow your lawn for a buck or two bucks? And I'd make money that way and then went to paper routes and some other things. But So I, that's my growing up. I didn't grow up with any kind of financial acumen or help from parent or parents. Trina and I got married, and, well, we had some differences. By that time, I'd kind of learned to be a little more frugal. She kind of leaned into, hey, let's spend what we get. And so we had to work that out together. And if you're married, you know what that's like, kind of, you know, oh, a little bit of tension. But we learned to do it, had some help along the way. We're like so many we were overextended deep in debt due to credit cards, and we had to dig out. Fortunately, we were able to move quickly so that MasterCard could never catch up to us. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Come on, lighten up a little bit. But we learned how, you know, we had to do, we've been through that. So I'm not coming at you as someone who hasn't experienced some of the difficulties of the financial setbacks. I also know we've always given 10%, plus money to missions and other things that come up. Soon after becoming a Christ follower, I told you I was 18. I didn't even know about this thing called tithing or tithing or whatever it's called. But I started doing it because I was challenged with it. And I wanted to give God and be obedient to God. And my first check as an 18-year-old bounced to heaven. I mean, it just bounced 
three times, and finally the pastor had to come and talk to me and say, dude, what are we going to do with this, you know? And, but my heart was right. See, our basic financial battle plan now for Trina and I, and it's been this way for a number of years, is simply this, is we give, we save, we live on the rest. Oh, and there was a great financial person in our church that's worked with me over the years and taught me a lot of the things that I know aside from the things that I've learned on my own from the Bible. He said this, because when I was trying to get out of debt, he was working with me, and I was, boy, once I made my mind, I'm going to do this, and man, I just put everything into it. And he said, whoa, whoa Terry, great lesson. You've got to reward yourself and your wife, because if you don't, this will become drudgery, and you'll be so consumed with it, you won't enjoy it. So I learned to give, to save, to live on the rest. Oh, and make plans to reward myself or our family. And that's really important to do, all four of those things. And I tell you this again, not because we want something from you, but we want something for you. We want God's blessing upon you. And this has helped me to learn to steward my resources in the good times and in the lean times, because it doesn't change. The amounts might change, but I continue to give, to save, to live on, and to reward. I want to talk to you today about resources. I want to talk to you about a lot of the extra resources. And some people will say, well, pastor, you're not talking to me. I don't have any extra money, really. I'll be, I wonder if you were to check right now how much money you had in your pocket. How much you got in there? How much you got in your purse? That's extra money. You're probably not going to pay a bill with it. What do we do with that money? Well, some of us will go to a movie. We'll go to a sports event, and we'll take that in. Well, that's extra money. Oh, no, 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 Pastor, you don't understand. I've got to go to those things. Oh, I've got to have, I've got to have my entertainment. Well, they, we don't have to have entertainment. And there's a lot of people who should be using their money for other things. Or how about this one? go out to eat. Oh, I got to go out to, you know, Pastor, we got to eat. Well, that's probably extra money then. Because I'm always amazed at how people, they get into financial difficulty. And if you chart it, a lot of it would just be tied into how much they eat out. You don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, probably when, when a family eats out, regardless of its size, you're probably spending three to four times as much eating out than if you were to plan a meal for your family. Am I saying don't eat out? No. I'm just talking now about how we see our resources and our extra resources. How many of us have it? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have an expensive coffee habit? Where some people spend five, six, ten, twelve dollars a day on their special coffee. How about golf club? Uh, that's not, that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> that's a good habit. No. But you know, your hobby. That we go extreme on our hobby. Got to have the latest, the newest, the best. <laughs> How many of us have traded up for something recently? Oh, the thing we had was great, but we wanted the newest. And so what do we do? We'll give it away. Or maybe it gets broke. Instead of getting it fixed, we just say, I'm going to get a new one. Get rid of it. You know, a number of generations ago, not that long ago, probably most of our parents, at least my parents, you know what? When something broke, they'd fix it. 
They never traded up. They waited till that thing wore out. Listen, most of the shoes when I, uh, growing up, I got like one or two pair of shoes. And until I had holes in the bottom, we didn't get new shoes. We kind of don't worry. Oh, I got a scuff. I better get a new pair of shoes. How about garage sales? Take the stuff I got too much of and I don't want, turn it into extra cash so I can get more stuff. See, if you ever walked into the store or the mall and ever thought, wow, I have so much extra stuff. I don't even know what I'm doing here. No. Usually we walk through it and what do we do? We, we begin to kind of feel a lack. Oh, I need that. Oh, I want that. How can I get that? I know I can't afford it, but I got this, I got this thing in my pocket. Maybe I can use it. See, that's what our culture does. It really feeds into this want more, need more, get more, have more stuff. And it's amazing that becomes almost kind of our right as Americans. But you know, if you travel to a third world country, and some of you have, or a lot of us have gone down to Mexico for the summer for our Creekside trip to, to build a home and to minister in orphanages and and to minister to the children down there. We go to just maybe in another part of town, and you see what's happening. And no longer do you feel a, a sense of lack, but you begin to almost have this guilty feeling. Why do I have so much? It's at that moment of recognition, friends, that we really do realize we've got a lot. And most of it's extra. Now listen, I, I know we're in a difficult economic time. But did you know not everyone is struggling? Some people are doing well. Some people are struggling because they've been cut back. Literally, they've lost their jobs. And we pray for those people. We pray for our people in our church every week. But there's also people that are struggling because of poor decisions that they've made. Some poor business decisions. Others poor decisions to upscale when maybe they shouldn't have others who have put self-imposed pressure because of decisions of excess. And now that they feel the pinch, well, what they feel not so much as a lack, but they, they're used to having, and now they don't have, so they feel like they have less, but it's just that they can't get what they want and desire. See, for some people, the truth is you don't need more wealth. You need more wisdom. See, if bad decisions put you in debt, your struggles won't change because all of a sudden you get a lot of money come your way. Your situation really won't change until you get wisdom on how to deal with the money that you have and the money that you would get. Because if you don't gain the wisdom, you know what you'll do? You'll just continue to repeat the same errors and be in the same cycle. So if he dropped a truckload of money on you today, saved your bacon out of debt, probably within six months to two years, guess what? You'd probably be right back where you were. Now Jesus came along 2,000 years ago, and he kind of addressed this issue. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 12. And he addressed this issue of much an extra. 
He calls it greed. And I just want to share some of these thoughts, and some of them come from Pastor Stanley that I was able to glean from, and I'm going to share today as well. But Jesus comes along 2,000 years ago, and he begins to define greed for us. See, greed is a, well, it's an important issue. Even in the Bible, it talks about it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says this, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which leads to idolatry. Wow, that's a big deal, isn't it? See, we forget sometimes that, that, that you know, an idol is what? It's something that we put before God. And what Paul was saying is, greed can become an idol, something that literally we worship and place before God. And it's interesting, isn't it, that he lists it with immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. And then we're going to come to this passage today where Jesus is talking, and he basically says that greed is believing and living under the assumption that everything in my life, everything that's extra, is totally and completely for my consumption. I assume that whatever I have is mine to use for my purposes. Now, we don't define it that way. Actually, we really don't define greed, do we? I start thinking about this. I go, well, how would I even define? I don't even know how to define greed. I can sure look in the mirror and go, yeah, he's got to deal with some lust, or he's got to deal with pride, or he's got to deal with anger. And sometimes I think I can spot greed in other people. But it's really hard to define and determine what it is for myself. But Jesus comes to this passage in Luke chapter 12, and he begins to deal with it. Now, this story, it forces us to ask a simple question. What am I going to do with my extra? How do I deal with my holdings? While our culture yells out and leads us to focus on what we don't have, we got to get more. Jesus wants us to always come back and say, what do you have and how are you going to use it for his purposes? For your life. So let's pick it up in chapter 12, Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Now Jesus is talking to this audience. He's been holding them and speaking to them now for we don't know how long, but he's, he's talking away, and Jesus is just hanging out with the crowd and teaching them. And out of nowhere, this guy yells out, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So obviously the parents had died, and this guy goes, I'm not getting my share. Tell him, Jesus, to do this. Well, Jesus speaks back, and he says, hey, who made me judge? And then he says, hey, be aware of greed. Now, if you're these people here, because Jesus was a master teacher, storyteller, they're probably wondering, this guy just wants his fair share, Jesus. What are you talking about? You're not the judge, and you're not the, you know, beware of greed. Why, why are you bringing those subjects up here with that? Well, then Jesus says this. Oh, and by the way, don't let your abundance of possessions lead you to believe that's the sum total of your life. Huh? Now you're bringing up this third thing. You know, you're not a judge. It's about greed, and now don't let possessions become the sum total. What's going on here? And then Jesus, as he does, he, he moves to this parable we're going to read. Now, this probably has to be just a little bit 
tricky for the disciples. Can't you imagine them? Oh, great. The guy asks one question, and now Jesus is going to launch into a parable. Lord, just give him the answer. These homespun down folk stories, they just take so much time. We know, you know, there's not really a guy. You're making it up. There's not a guy and two sons. You're making it up. But this is what Jesus does. The reason he does that is because this is an emotionally charged situation. Kind of like today, maybe a little bit, where whenever you're talking about greed, whenever you're talking about people's stuff and resources, a lot of times you can't just speak to the head. You have to be able to go to the heart. So that's what Jesus is doing here because he sees beyond, the, he sees to the heart and beyond the intentions. And so while all these people are doing is saying, yeah, Jesus, just help this guy divvy up the stuff, man. Jesus is saying, this guy's got a greed problem. Let me address that. And Jesus gives some powerful perspective on greed and our extra stuff. Because he basically says that the definition of greed is being under the assumption that all of the extra is for your and my consumption. Now, there's some different categories in the Scripture not stated as such, but how God sees and how the rich people kind of come out through the Scripture. How people deal with, there's categories in regards of people and their riches and their possessions and their wealth. There's the righteous rich, those who are in right standing with God. The way they obtain, the way they obtain their wealth is righteous. They work hard. They invest smart. God blesses them because they do things well. They give to God. They help the poor. They take care of their family when their family has needs, within a healthy way. They pay their bills. If they have a business, they work hard to take care of their employees. And what God wants you to know is you can be righteous and you can be rich. But you can also be unrighteous and rich as well. That's where you get your money in a way that's dishonoring to God, dishonoring to people. You rip people off. Maybe you use unacceptable business practices. You see money as I'm going to hoard it, so it'll be hoarded unto me. The guy we're going to look at today kind of lived this way. It was all about him, unrighteous, but rich. And that's why Jesus says there's going to be an accountability for this man. And then those who are both righteous and poor. They get their money through honest means, but frankly, they don't have very much. They are poor by the standard of many, but they still steward their resources in a righteous way. They give to God. They give to help others in need. They're responsible with their finances. They help out their family when they can. They pay their bills. Great example of a righteous poor person is found in Luke chapter 21. I journaled on this a couple of weeks ago because in, in Luke 21, the first four verses, it says Jesus is literally in the temple. And he's watching people come in and give. And the phrase that got me was Jesus notices. Jesus noticed. And he saw all the rich people, the religious people, you know, the big dogs. People really, whoa, they're big time. And they come in and they drop their money in. And Jesus was not impressed. And this little widow, she comes in and she gives this little mite, which is just a, a fraction of a cent. And she drops it in. Jesus notices. 
And he said, she's the one that gave. These others, listen to this, just gave out of their extra. She gave. It cost her. She sacrificed. As they begin to look at that, Jesus notices, I, I, you know, you go to Acts chapter 10, and there's this guy named Cornelius who we believe wasn't even a Christ follower at the time, but became a Christ follower later. But it says this about Cornelius that God noticed his giving to the poor and his prayers came up before God. God notices. So you can still be very righteous and be poor or not be up with everybody. And that should never be a statement about your spirituality. But you can also be unrighteous and poor. These people, they're not going to work hard or they're not going to work smart. They don't invest. They don't save. They don't have any plan for retirement. They don't have any plan for life insurance. They have no plan for using and working their money. They don't think about, when I get this money, how am I going to use it and leverage it for living? So you have to be careful that we don't think categorically as poor as unrighteous and the righteous as, well, they're probably the rich ones. The issue is you are either righteous or you're unrighteous, and how you obtain and steward the resources that God blesses you with and entrusts you with really determines to a great degree how you're growing in your righteousness. But don't categorize people and say, oh boy, spiritual because they're rich. Because that's what happened in this day. See, a lot of people looked at the Pharisees and the religious people and said, oh, because they walk around in these great robes and they have money and resources, they pray out loud. They're, they're righteous. And they were the very ones that Jesus said, these guys were whitewashed tombs, man. There's nothing but death and decay inside of them. And so when Jesus talks to these people, he's going to put a little twist on this story that's going to probably surprise them. So let's read, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me as judge and arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Transition time, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he goes on to tell them this parable, this story, that he wants to begin to speak to their heart not just their head. Verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Did you catch that? The ground produced a good crop. Not the man. Oh, he took care of it, but it was the ground. Who, who, who controls the ground? Well, God does. So God blesses this man with a great crop. And then verse 17, after this, this great crop comes up and it's harvested, he said, I thought to myself, always be careful because he says it a couple of times, when you think to yourself and not to God. He thought to himself, well, what, what shall I do? I, I got no place to store up my crops. So he's doing pretty good, man. The guy's got a windfall. He has, his, his closets are full of new clothes. He's got four cars. He's got all the stuff he ever wanted. And now his biggest problem is, what am I going to do with it? Now, Jesus is presenting this to his hearers if it's a problem, but they're probably not picking up on that yet. They're thinking, oh, tough life. Wish I could have it. Verse 18. And then he said, this is what I'll do. 
I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Now, see, we think that's pretty smart. Brilliant. This guy's a good businessman, taking care of stuff. Build bigger, more stuff. It's his goods. He's making room for it. And see, if that was the end of the story, if Jesus were to stop there like a lot of these people probably thought, they would have applauded, we would have applauded and said, wow, good for him. It's kind of the American way, isn't it? But it's not the end of the story. See, just because his name is on that barn, does that really mean it's his? See, Haggai 2 verse 8 says this, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Sometimes we forget we are stewards of what God has given us and blessed us with. So verse 19. Again, I'll say to myself, you've plenty of good things. Laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy assumes that because he's got a lot of stuff, guess what? He's going to have a lot of years. I mean, why else would God bless me if he doesn't give me a lot of years to enjoy all this stuff? And see, we kind of live that way too, don't we? We forget that there's a shelf life to our stuff and our life. As you look through this passage, I encourage you to do this. Notice all the times that he says, I and my. I and my. Whenever you start talking, I and my, that's probably a red flag that you've taken ownership. But notice what happens in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. That's pretty strong language. Yeah, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? God says you're going to run out of time before you run out of money and resources. And again, most Americans do this. Who's going to get it? He didn't. And Jesus says that people that live this way, God considers a fool. We have a tendency to believe they're brilliant and wise, don't we? See, we, we do the same. We get a bonus. We get a raise, a better job. What do we do? We buy a bigger car, bigger house. The assumption is, is that all of this is for our consumption. We get extra. It's all for me. But Jesus says, Nah, it may be nice. He's working hard. But he's a fool. Terry, you're doing a good job. Yeah, working hard and things are good. But if you live this way, Terry, you're a fool. So Jesus begins to do something here now that he doesn't do in a lot of his other parables, and he quickly addresses them on the hind end of what he just says. Verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores things up for himself, but is not rich toward God. He says, anybody else that takes this kind of idea, this kind of tack, lives this kind of way, this is the way it's going to be before God. You're going to be a fool. You're going to lose ultimately. There's going to be loss. It's not a threat. It's just that's the way it is. So now if you're thinking like me, I want to raise my hand and go, God, is there any other alternative here? Can we do something different? Can we make this work? And tell me, what does it mean to be rich toward God? 
Do I have to live the life of a fool or is there another option? And Jesus quickly goes on to say, yes, there is. And a passage that many of us are familiar with, you'll see there, he goes into this next passage and he begins to say, well, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry about your food, your clothes, your life. What he's really saying, don't, 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 be, don't be so distracted with them that it begins to tear your, your inner being and your, and your peace apart. And then as he goes through this, he comes down to verse 30. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 12. Because it really is a continuation of the teaching. He says, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. So what does he say? Verse 32. And don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Okay, now take a big gulp. Okay? Notice verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. Because a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. There's no thief that comes near and there's no moth that can destroy. For where your treasure is, what? Your heart will be there also. See what he says there? Sell and give. Now, 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 see, this is where it can get really dicey because some of you are going, oh my gosh, I really want to be spiritual and I've got to sell everything and give it up. I've got to liquidate the goods. No, 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 no. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know, he doesn't want you to give everything away and live destitute. You know, there, there's hyperbole. Why? Because if, if, if I, let's say every Christian did that, we would take care of people for a while and then we'd all be need to be taken care of too. So he's not saying liquidate and sell everything but he's saying sell and give so that greed doesn't have a grip on your heart and your soul and where you are consumed with consumption and things because ultimately that's what's going to break the grip of greed on your heart and your life. So that when you walk into a store, you're not consumed with saying, oh, I need that, I need that because you've listened to the advertisements and all the commercials. You can walk in there and say, no, I'm content. God has provided and see, Jesus is teaching here that if you have a savings plan, which this guy did, fill the barns, that's good. Hope you have one. And a spending plan, we all have one of those, or at least a habit. But if you don't have any giving plan, you'll eventually consume everything that's left over, which is what this man did. That doesn't mean you don't or won't give anything at some point. Listen, Americans are really generous people for the most part. But it's usually done emotionally, spontaneously, and sporadically. We hear of a need, we see of a need, and what do we do? Well, we dip into our extra. Not sacrificially, but into our extra. Put it in the bag, or the plate, or send it in. And then we feel good. <coughs> Excuse me. But that isn't what this is all about. See, that's giving a little bit out of the extra. And as Christ followers, we should be moved from at times with emotional needs. But the key is this, is that we have planned giving, planned saving, and planned spending. 
so that we don't become consumed by the cultural mindset of consumption. It's how we learn to deal with this issue of the heart. See, the priority of the Bible is this, is we give, save, spend. What does our culture say? Spend, spend, maybe save, only give out of necessity. And when you live that way, you'll never have a plan for the future. You'll never live in God's order. So this, as I told you earlier, the best way to do this, I believe, is to build a plan around percentages. You predecide, you predetermined, and you say, I'm going to take this percentage of my income, and it's going to go toward giving, saving, and live on the rest. I'm going to take a certain percentage, and I'm going to give it to the church and to what God is doing in the world. And then I'm going to save for my future, for my retirement, for my kids' education, for whatever. And you take percentages. And then you learn to live on the rest. Because, see, Jesus says it's a fool who simply saves up and spends, but never gives. If you believe, loved ones, in this Bible, if you believe this is God's word, if you believe that there is a God who created this world, if you believe that, then you have to ultimately believe we're going to stand before him someday. And we are going to give an account for our lives. What did you do with what I gave you? It wasn't yours. You're a steward. That's what the Bible says, not me. So I think the best thing you can do And this is what I've done because the Bible talks about percentages. Now, percentages is a math term. I'm a, when I was in high school, I I wasn't a real math guy. I liked reading, writing, and history. So like for me, when I start talking, you have to forgive me, uh, I, I took bonehead math, passed it. But in bonehead math, you don't do anything like uh, percentages and fractions and, per- and decimals and all those things because those are beyond you. So if, if I, I'm going to take this real slow because I know there's probably some others of you in this room that aren't real math people either, correct? So just hang with me and I'll do this really slow for my benefit and for yours. But this is one thing I learned in percentages from the Bible and then through life. See, I, I get a paycheck, you get a paycheck. And let's say it's $10. Well, th- this is what I learned to do. I get $10, and the first thing I do is I, I realize, well, that's $10. So I see it as this way. Wow. That's 10 ones. Are you with me so far? $10? Okay, well, the percentage is this. I, I start with just, I give to the church 10%. That's $1 out of 10. Did you get that? Okay, I, I know I'm going a little fast here, but uh, this, is, this, is tough, this is tough for me, I understand, because math is just not my thing. But, so I, I give one there. And then I, I give another 10% to savings and retirement. And what's amazing to me is all of a sudden, whoa, look at all that. I got a lot left, don't I? And, and I've, I've learned to live on that. 
and to enjoy that and to use that. Now, what that has done for me is when I get a check, I already know what I'm going to do with it. I don't have to fret. I don't have to think. I don't have to walk through a golf store and go, oh my gosh, here's a $300 golf club. I'm going to get it. No, because if I've already given my percentage and I've already, my, my percentage to the church and I've given my percentage to savings, guess what? Then I can determine, do I have that to spend? God gives me that freedom. No guilt. So I'm paying my bills. It's, it's pretty simple stuff. So when you decide to do this, begin to use percentages for your income, you know what you're doing? It's really a priority that says, I'm going to trust God. Because this is what I see a lot of Christians do. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tip God. I'm going to give him a little bit here, a little bit there, and see if I've got it here, see if I've got it there. Oh, don't have it for the next three months, so I'm not going to give. And all of a sudden, they hit a financial crisis. What's the first thing they do? Oh, God! But they don't have a lot of confidence. And I can just imagine God going something like, well, what do you want? You were doing fine for the last three months or three years. You don't need me. Now you've got to dig yourself out. See, that's why we plan ahead. We trust God. We move from being controlled by our spending to controlling our spending to where it needs to go. Malachi 3 talks about this, that we're to bring the tithe to the storehouse, which is a tenth. Now, now let me break this down as, as, we, as I close. We're in the New Testament now, and we're not, I'm not going to deal with this all today, but the Bible talks about a tenth. I believe that's just a great baseline. But I know some of you today, you're sitting here, you're a single mom, you're a single parent, and you make hardly anything. And you're saying, Pastor, if I had to do that, I'd, my kids wouldn't eat and don't. But begin to give a percentage sacrificially somewhere where it costs you a latte, some of that extra money, but give sacrificially and a percentage that says, I'm going to trust you, God. Did you know that money is the only thing God ever said to test a man in the Bible? Malachi chapter 3, look it up. Test God and see if he doesn't open the windows of heaven and pours forth a blessing on you. But I tell people all the time, don't give 10 bucks, you give a percentage. So you know that's God's. You not only trust God with it, but you test God in it. And then you faithfully give it. There's people on a fixed income. You say, I can't give 10%, Terry. Okay. Find a percentage that costs you a little something and start there. Test and trust God. Hey, you like my new shirt? This is what I'm learning to do to cut back. I'm not buying as many clothes. I let people give them to me. And, 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 and uh, Paula Cook gave this to me shortly after uh, Chief died. Because I always used to kid him about his cowboy shirts and how I liked him. And so she said, I think Chief would want you to have this. And I was thinking about Chief. Some of you don't know Gerald Cook and passed away a year ago, August. One of the just major godly men of this church for many years. Died of cancer. And I remember I was over at his house 
before him and his wife were going to have to move out of their large house to go to a little assisted living place because he couldn't get up and down the stairs. He was in chemotherapy. Went over there after church one Sunday just to pray for him and to love on him and to encourage him. And as I'm getting ready to leave, he kind of, kind of shuffles over to, the, to a coffee table and he picks up a check and he gives it to me. He says, Pastor, make sure this gets in the offering. I looked at it and it was, I think it was for $500, $530. 500-$530 was for his tithe. $30 was for the support of an orphan. I'm thinking, you know, this guy isn't doing real well. And he's concerned about getting money to the church. And a nanosecond later, I said, God, when I get older, make sure that my heart isn't getting stingier, but it's getting larger. Give me a heart like chief. See, that's not a greedy heart. That is a giving heart. Some of you have made your debt. And you go, I can't, I'm, I'm, what am I going to do? Been there, done that. So this is what you do. Do a percentage. And every time you get a bill paid off, you raise that percentage. Because I'm going to trust God. See that he doesn't begin to provide for you and to help you when you put your trust in him. There's people here, you say, my spouse doesn't come to church. Well, then you really probably can't do anything. Guilt-free. Not a problem. See, God is, God is a God of grace. But he says, I want to be a part of the most important part of your life. Or one of them, probably the top three. Kids, marriage, money, faith. So for some, it's time to start a giving plan. Listen, I really believe this. For some of you, it will be a game changer. And I want to just put this caveat. There's some of you, when we talk about a percentage, if I say 10%, 10% is like a tip to you. There's no sacrifice in that. It's just, that's easy. Kind of did my religious thing. God will always call us at some point, sometime, to sacrifice. And I want to challenge you. Because that's what God did to this guy. He said, you're just keeping it for yourself. You're not making a difference. And some of you are going, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that Bible. Good. Let's take, let's take the church off the, out of the equation, off the table. I would challenge you to give a percentage to some nonprofit organization out there that you trust in. Because that will release your heart. will loosen your grip from being stingy. This isn't about the church today, loved ones. This is about us being, free, being freed from the Americano grip of greed, from the kingdom of thingdom, to be able to say, I want to do this God's way. See, God doesn't want from you. He wants for you. And he wants you to live in freedom. Not to be controlled, but to be in control. It doesn't matter how much you make or don't make. You can be very poor and still be very stingy and greedy. The big idea here, friends, is this, is that money can either be your God or you can use it to worship your God. And sometimes we don't like to hear that. The Bible is clear. It's one of the greatest expressions of worship we can have.